It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. Well, it's a controversial but scientifically sound argument that links abortion to breast cancer. But a video produced by the Ruth Institute talking with a respected biologist about it um, has been seen by relatively few people. That's because YouTube censored it removed it from its platform because of the content. Now, YouTube stated that it, quote, does not allow content about abortion that contradicts expert consensus from local health authorities or the World Health Organization and poses a serious risk of bodily harm or death, end quote. But the Ruth Institute's Dr. Jennifer, Jennifer uh, Roback uh, Morse claims in the podcast that there is a corruption in the core process of what has become scientific consensus. From the evidence she presents, it's more coercion than consensus. But the Ruth Institute is not alone, and it's being censored by big tech. The Heritage Institute did a recent analysis showing how the likes of Google and YouTube and Twitter, Apple, Facebook, and others are modern-day gatekeepers and restricting and reshaping the flow of information. Um, you see so much um, it has affected the public discourse. Now, we know about this in, in, the, in terms of politics, but religious organizations are also being targeted and many of them just don't have the power to fight back. You know, you're not going to hear about them as much as you're going to hear about the politics or, you know, Joe Biden's, you know, laptop or any of those kinds of things. But you but these uh, these organizations really go after the religious organizations and people aren't told really what to think. They're being controlled by what these big tech companies allow them to think about controlling the flow of information. In the case of the Ruth Institute, it has affected their ability to reach people with critical information that could help them make a well-informed choice. Now, the Ruth Institute exists to help people understand and promote traditional Christian sexual morality. And right there, you know, it's going to be a target. But what is different about the Ruth Institute, in my opinion, because I just met the founder like probably more than a decade ago, is that this is really mostly science-based, looking at the biological, sociological, and psychological and more effects of how sex affects us. Now, Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris is the founder of her latest book, The Sexual State, How Elite Ideologies Are Destroying Lives and Why the Church Was Right All Along. It's a full-scale indictment of the sexual revolution and what it has wrought in the lives of everyday people. And Dr. Morse joins me now. Good morning. Or good afternoon. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me on, Lauren. It's a pleasure to reconnect with you about this very important topic. You know, when I first met you and heard you speak probably more than a decade ago, um, you were right on target then, but it wasn't really controversial. I mean, it wasn't nearly as, it was controversial, but never really like blatantly like, you know, you know you're going to get canceled or- right you know, people are going to attack you or, I mean, it wasn't like that because, you know, liberal ideologies were still very much in place. Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land, as they said, but now things are different, right? Well, back in the day, uh, 
certain topics were still considered debatable subjects, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if I remember correctly, when I came to to speak there in New York City for Socrates in the City back, you know, like you said, a decade ago, um, the, uh, my topic was the proper definition of marriage and whether it was going to be good public policy to remove the gender requirement for marriage. And we talk about it as gay marriage, but what gay marriage really does is to remove the, the requirement that you have two genders involved in marriage. And I was trying to argue that this was not going to be good public policy that would have a lot of ramifications people weren't thinking about and so on and so forth. Well, back in the day, um, it, this was still a debatable topic. Uh, but yeah. at some point, at some point, the you know the the global ruling class decided this is not debatable anymore. And and likewise with the topic that you and I are going to discuss today, the the link between abortion and breast cancer, that's not a that's not a religious thing. That's a scientific thing. Right. Um, and it has been decided by somebody somewhere that this is not even a debatable scientific topic. And that's what I think people need to understand is just how science itself uh, is being manipulated. And uh, you could say weaponized because we hear the word science and we're all supposed to genuflect, you know, and everything. <laughs> right. But but what constitutes a scientific consensus? How what is that process? And the video that we're going to talk about, you know, I, I was really trying to get this this gentleman on the record to tell people what happened over 20 years ago to him uh, in this process. So what was the video about? Tell me more about this particular video. Yes, yes. So um, last October, we decided to do a series um, in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, talking about, among other things, the uh, scientific evidence about a, a possible link between abortion and breast cancer. Because, you know, if you're going to go around a little pink ribbon and stuff and, you know, be all about um, research on breast cancer and so on, uh, we thought this would be a good thing to talk about. And I had heard that the person that I we're going to talk about today is, is Dr. Joel Brind. I knew about his story and I wanted to get him on the record, Lauren. It was I feel it was really important um, that his story not be lost. And, and I had read about it um, and I had written about it in my book, The Sexual State, which you very kindly mentioned there a minute ago. Um, but I wanted to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Joel, tell us what happened, you know, back. Right, right. How did this come about? And and then how did it go down? And, you know, anything you can remember, because I just feel like people should hear it. And the, this, the story, the rough outline of the story is that he had been gathering studies. OK, he's a biologist. And, and he does lab research and that kind of thing, but he was a he, he, he himself has not conducted the studies. Right. What he was doing was gathering the, the studies. And, you know, there are a lot of studies from around the world and over time. And he even said it went back to the 50s in Japan was the earliest scientific paper that he found on this topic, suggesting a correlation of some kind between abortion and breast cancer. Right. Um, and so he'd been gathering all this data and. Uh, evidently, he and a couple of other people were getting some traction with it. And there was mm -hmm. talk of the uh, Congress having hearings to investigate the subject. And somewhere around that time, the National uh, Cancer Institutes got involved and, and said, oh, we're going to have a big meeting. We're going to uh, examine the facts and we're going to come out with a definitive statement. And so that process right there, that, that's where the corruption really entered the process. And that's what I wanted to get Dr. Grind on the record to tell us, what do you remember about that whole thing? What can you tell us uh, about it? And so th that's what the video was about. And um, YouTube took that video down and two others on related topics. Um, and 
it's been there since October, Lauren. These these videos have been up there for months. So my guess is, and it's only a guess, but I mean, because we have to guess, we mm -hmm, tech doesn't mm -hmm. tell us anything. But <laughs> my guess <laughs> is that that after the Dobbs decision, they're getting more aggressive about um, about censoring information that doesn't go along with the global public health narrative about abortion they don't want people seeing this information you know because now the stakes in their mind the stakes are higher i guess that's what they think but I, what? I, don't see, I don't see how anybody this 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 thing they say about poses risk of bodily harm or death you know in mm -hmm, their little mm -hmm. thing that you're in. how how I, I don't understand how this video poses a risk of bodily harm or death but why would the breast cancer, uh, uh, the American, is it the American Cancer Association that did it? Or is it just YouTube? Or did the, the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, put pressure on YouTube to say, take this down? You don't know. There's no way of knowing that. You know, you, you're never yeah. going to know something like that. Um, and, and but I, what, I, but, why, but what, why, why wouldn't the NIH, you know, you know, our, you know, big organization that helped us, you know, create the COVID vaccine and all this. I mean, why would they have a vested interest in squashing these studies that show some, perhaps some link between abortion and breast cancer? Yes. Well, and then that takes us back to the, to the um, meeting that took place in 2003. That was the subject here. And <clears throat> one can, one can only guess what people are thinking, but for whatever reason, people are deeply committed to the idea that abortion is completely safe whenever it's legal. Uh, if it's not mm -hmm. legal, it's dangerous. If it's safe, if it's, if it's legal, it's always and everywhere safe. And, you know, we already know that's not true, right? I mean, that's, and I, I don't suppose they'd be that blatantly saying it, but, but if you suggest that, you know, hey, the choice to have an abortion may have problematic consequences down the road, that disrupts the narrative that they have. And, that, and it's a sort of global sexual revolutionary narrative is that everybody can have as much sex as they want and nothing bad is ever gonna happen. As long as you use your contraception consistently and correctly, mm -hmm. nothing bad will happen, you know? Um, and, you know? And again, they don't say it that blatantly, but that's how they act. They act as if that's what they think, right? What well, so, I, I understand- This is risky that, you know, this could, you know, maybe maybe something that will happen. Maybe you shouldn't have the, but maybe not everybody should have an abortion. That threatens the kind of um, uh, aura of sanctity mm. uh, around abortion. What I understand, because we're not really discussing the whole abortion uh, cancer link. I'm more interested in sort of the YouTube squashing it and the right. squashing these voices. But but I do want to get out the information. But what I understood about this, which is very fascinating, actually, is that when you have, if there's a spontaneous abortion, like a miscarriage, it usually yeah. happens within the first few weeks mm -hmm. of 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 the of the pregnancy, and so the body has not cranked up its hormones yet, you know, in order to get the get the body ready for you know a baby being born, and it's not you know it's sort of, but when you have an abortion. The body is already cranked up usually, you know, all the hormones are growing, all the cells are getting ready to grow. That makes it vulnerable yes. to breast cancer if you squash it. Yes, yes, that is very fascinating. And Lauren, go to the head of the class. I could tell you watched the whole video. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't just send a robot to look at it for you. <laughs> because yes, so so the, the explanation for the correlation. <clears throat> 
because you do see the correlation in a lot of data. The, the explanation for the correlation is just what you said, that when a woman becomes pregnant, the whole body is engaged in preparing for the baby and your breasts are preparing for the baby and they swell. And women who've been through pregnancy can remember very early on, oh, wow, something's going on here, you know, because you're you're tender in a way that you weren't before. And what's happening is that, that these these cells, and I'm not an MD, okay? So you gotta watch the video and hear what Dr. Brin says, but right, um, right. but the, 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 the cells, the ducts, the, the mammary glands are, are, are starting to develop more fully. They're developing towards their ultimate end, which is to nurse a baby, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you go through the whole process and you, you give birth to the baby and you nurse the baby, that is the most protective thing you can do against breast cancer. So if you, ha if you have your first birth and, and it's a, a, a full-term birth, <clears throat> you have a, a relatively lower risk factor for breast cancer and that's like the early, kind of not literally the earlier you do it but if you do it in your 20s you that's a big protective factor and everybody knows that everybody who works in this area is aware mm -hmm, of that right mm -hmm. but if you if you truncate that process so that the the process doesn't continue to its natural end um those glands are growing you know they've been stimulated to grow but there's nothing for them to do right and every one of those little nodules becomes a potential um, site for fast growing cells, namely cancer, right? And so that's the understanding of how that link works. Um, uh, okay, so this is a laywoman's description of it. And you can see we even have little pictures in the video, you know, showing. Right, right. It's very fascinating. But, but, like, but like you said, and, and I asked this question because I, I honestly didn't know that a spontaneous abortion, which is the technical name for a, a miscarriage, there's spontaneous abortion and then there's induced abortion, which is what people normally think of as a, when they use the word abortion, um, the the baby dies very early in the womb, very often because there was there's something wrong, something's not going right in the right. body. So mm -hmm. therefore, um, it's it's much less likely that this whole uh, development of the breast process is going on, and so you're not interrupting it, and so the risk is that's why the risk doesn't appear um, for mm -hmm. a very early preterm. Uh, um, what am I trying to say? For a very early spontaneous abortion, that's why that's um, not the same thing. So, so that's the science of the thing, and you know, it, 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 there's a certain sense to it. Um, yeah. it, makes, it seems logical, and if you've got all these studies where there's a correlation, you know, why would you resist knowing this? Why, why do you not want women to know this information? You know that um, that this is a potential. This is one of the costs. If you choose abortion, this is one of the potential mm -hmm. costs to you. Why and you're not, you're, not no, yeah. Why would you not want them to know? One of the things, I, what I want to know is like how, when they censored you, when they killed, um, I must say killed you, when they canceled <laughs> you, these videos, what effect has that had on the Ruth Institute? Oh, <laughs> well, I'm a little perverse here, actually, because when I saw that, I said, okay, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this, and people and people are now going to understand what we're talking about. That people are going to, um, it, 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 we have hundreds of videos, so they took down three. So I'm grateful they didn't take down the whole cha uh, channel. I shouldn't have to say I'm grateful they didn't take us all down, you know, because no person in a free society should have to worry about that. Actually, you know, mm -hmm. um, so it didn't affect us that much, but we see it as an opportunity, as an opportunity for us to make our core points. And one of our core points is that the sexual state is a real thing. It is the, the 
ideology of the sexual revolution is being propped up by the state now in cooperation with the media, as you were talking about, the legacy media and big tech. And when I wrote this book, The Sexual State in 2018, it wasn't as obvious then as it is now, but now it's become just increasingly obvious that people, there are large parts of the sexual revolution that people are disgusted with and don't want, but it's being foisted on us uh, by, from the top down, you know, there's a lot of top down uh, promotion well, of this hey, ideology. You know, this, I mean, the fact that um, I think that, you know, these big tech companies are actually targeting religious organizations in particular. Do yeah. you, I mean, not, they don't have a, they don't have talking points, but they have a consensus that's out there that is all part of the liberal ideology. Do you feel that they're going after religious organizations more? Oh, I think I think that's really true. Uh, well, some religious organizations. So if you've got a religious organization that's pro-choice, they're going to celebrate those people, right? They're going to uh, uh, promote those people. Oh, look, see, uh, lots of Jewish people think abortion's fine. Lots of Catholics think abortion is fine. You know, uh, they're going to talk about those people to undermine those of us who hold to the traditional views. Just yesterday, I was talking to a lady from the a Jewish pro-life foundation, which I didn't even know there was such a thing, but this is what she's trying to deal with, right? And and those of us who are pro-life Catholics, you know, we have to deal with the, um, you know, the Catholic descent within within our own ranks, you know? So what big tech and, and the sexual revolutionaries are trying to do is to stifle the voices that disagree with them, use the moral authority of anybody who agrees with them, uh, you know, and, and boost them, um, in order to uh, bolster their bolster their position, because the reality is, Lauren, that traditional Christian sexual ethics is the target of the sexual revolution. You know, we are the alternative to them. We are the coherent alternative to them. <clears throat> they want to take us down. <clears throat> they got to take us down, right? They got to either make us look bad or let nobody hear what we have to say. And so, when you got somebody like Dr. Brin making a very credible case that is not religious at all. Um, you got to shut that up. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast just for a moment. We'll be back with Dr. Dr. Um, uh, Morris talking about the sexual state and, you know, YouTube and big tech canceling them. We'll be right back. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. And we're back with Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse, uh, someone that I've known for a long time, but haven't really been connecting with lately. But we're talking about the Ruth Institute, which is the organization you founded. Um, has been canceled by big tech. Um, you know, Dr. Morris, tell me what the Ruth Institute is and what it does. Well, we are a, a think tank type of organization. We are an interfaith international coalition to defend the family, <clears throat> which we do by presenting scientifically sound arguments and carefully reasoned evidence uh, and real life uh, stories from survivors so that we can equip Christians and other people of faith to defend traditional Christian sexual values. That's who we are, that's what we do. And you're, I think, are you being targeted by big tech? I mean, is this sort of, are you, do you have a big bullseye on, on Ruth Institute? 
Evidently, evidently, you know, I have my enemies from back in the day when I was, um, you know, campaigning for man and woman marriage. That's how I came to some of these people's attention for sure. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, they're they're targeting us. And, and now that you're putting me on Fox News, they'll be even more aware of me. <laughs> <clears throat> so they'll probably come after me some more. I don't know. <clears throat> well, I mean, but- who knows how these people do their calculations? You know, a few years ago, um, in two, I think it was 2017, we received a notice that our um, credit card processing company was ditching us. And that was because we had appeared in some story about the Southern Poverty Law Center and its hate map. You see, I'm a certified hate group, just for the record, in case you didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm the equivalent of the Ku Klux Klan, just so you know, okay? Um, <clears throat> and that's because I don't go along with the, uh, that because I believe that redefining marriage is going to be bad public policy, right? Um, but anyway, yeah, so so that that actually was more inconvenient than what we're dealing with right now, you know, because we we couldn't um, all all of our monthly donors who contributed through their credit cards, all of that went away um, over not not overnight. Within five minutes, we got an email, went and checked, and it was gone. You know, our our credit card processing was completely gone. So that was about five years ago. And like I said, that was more inconvenient than what we're dealing with now because we still do have our whole YouTube channel, just lost three videos. Um, and we have, we're on Rumble and the other alternative platforms so people can find us there. And I do hope people will go and, you know, look for us and, and, uh, and sign up, subscribe over there and support these alternative channels because that in the end, that's what has to happen, isn't it? Um, that, that we're going to have to be less dependent on, on the various big tech actors. Wow. What about your... Um... Rosary by the lake. Is that happening? Is that has that been affected by all this? Because you talk oh, about this you, in the email. You know what? That that's very dear of you to ask. And I'm not sure how you ended up on the email list about the rosary around <laughs> the lake. <laughs> because that, that's something we do here in Lake Charles. Uh, we started it a few years ago to to pray for the family uh, because I became convicted that this was really um, even though we're a scientific organization, we also, you know, most of us are believers of one sort or another, and I'm Roman Catholic, and I live in this very Catholic town here, um, and I thought, you know, the, the family needs supernatural help as well as the natural help, and so um, since 2018, we sponsored Rosary Around the Lake uh, here, in, here in Lake Charles. So that's still happening. That's still happening. I, I think it's going to still happen. We've <laughs> there's a, a lot goes into making that happen but but people seem to love it and it, and it, it's part of a worldwide um a campaign that's started by a priest in wisconsin that, that he calls it he calls it rosary coast to coast i think mm-hmm. and so we were just one of many sites uh starting in 2018 you know he he every year has you know hundreds of sites around the country where people are doing it so that for sure is going to be going on all over the place. And I would suggest people look for Rosary Coast to Coast as well as Rosary Around the Lake. So what do you, I mean, I mean, I want to get back to this whole YouTube censor and cancel you because I didn't yes. realize that, you know, they, you know, because you were on poverty law centers, you know, hate group list that that had, that affected your bottom line in terms of the credit card, right. you know, gifts. Uh, but that's back on track, I, I assume. Yes, we're back on track on that, and people can donate to us now, and, and monthly donors are very much appreciated, that's for sure. Of course, now that we're blabbing about it, you know, who knows, maybe Wells Fargo will lean on people or something and get us canceled there. But see, that's the thing, but that's the thing, that's the thing, they couldn't do it for long, but they did it enough, and it's like, you know, how many other groups out there, you know, couldn't oh, fight oh. back? Oh, you know what, I, and and, and I, what I would say to anybody who's going through this kind of thing is, you know, don't back down. 
I, you know, I will not apologize. I have not done anything wrong here, right? I mean, and like I said, I'm grateful that they didn't take everything down, but I shouldn't have to be grateful that the tech overlords allow me to speak, okay? I am not yelling fire in a crowded theater, okay? Stop it. Just stop with that stuff, you know? Um, we are putting out information that people can take or leave as they see fit if they find it credible, right? Um, and that's what free speech is all about. That's what a free society is all about. Um, so yeah, the power that these organizations have is really chilling. And, and I think many people who are not religious have seen this over the past two years and seeing how kind of the global oligarchy has treated people who dissent from the various um, public health measures that have been promoted for infectious diseases. I'm not even gonna say it because I don't wanna trigger the robots, right? Um, but I think we all, know, <laughs> we all know what I'm talking about, right? That, 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 the, that the truckers in Canada had their bank accounts frozen by Justin Trudeau, okay? That is very, that is chilling. That is dark, very dark. Wow. And I don't care what you think about any topic. You cannot be indifferent to that. And, you know, what's happening to me is nothing compared to what those people went through. So I don't want you feeling sorry for me, you know, but I want you to take, you know, see this as one instance of a much bigger problem. And that we as pro-life, pro-family people, we've been dealing with this for decades, Lauren. This goes back so far. And that's why, that's another reason I wanted Dr. Brind on the record. I wanted people to see that he lost two jobs over promoting, over talking about the abortion breast cancer link. He lost two research positions in the 1990s. Okay. Wow. That's how long this has been going on. It's not come out of nowhere the day before yesterday. They have been building up this uh, cancel culture infrastructure uh, for a long time and, and people have let it go because, well, I'm not pro-life, so I don't care about, about those right. guys. Well, you know, come on, people. <laughs> hey, but but now since Roe v. Wade, the, the, now since the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, how, yeah. I mean, they've gotten more aggressive now or what? I, I, it looks like it. That That's what I would say. I mean, a, a lot of the pro-abortion forces in a variety of ways have gotten more aggressive. Their their rhetoric has uh, ratcheted up. Um, their, their violence has ratcheted up. Um, and this little bit of, you know, my, my little scuffle of censorship here suggests to me that they intend to to, rat, to ratchet up the, the the censorship aspect of it as well. So people just need to be aware of that. I mean, there are, there are plenty of people who, you know, who are on the fence about abortion or who, who are not as pro-life as you and I might be, but who still can understand that this is serious business when you shut down people's uh, ability to even make an argument. Um, you've, entered a, you've entered the twilight zone here. You know, we were talking about this before, but it's much, today it's much easier to, silence the voice rather than debate the argument. And that's really what's scary about this. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I, I would like to, if we may, go back to the details of what was on that video uh, of what actually happened to Dr. Brind at that meeting in 2003. Do you mind if we- No, what, what happened? What happened? Well, so like I mentioned, he it looked like he was starting to get some traction and that there was some uh, uh, thought that Congress was going to investigate and so on and so forth. Maybe there'd be warning labels on abortion or, you know, it's, it's, somehow they were going to deal with it, talk about it. So the uh, the organization said, OK, we're going to have a big meeting. And the title of the meeting was kind of bland. Um, but uh, and so people said, yeah, well, you know, we'll go, we'll submit papers and so on and so forth. So when it came out, when the program came out, the only people who were allowed to present papers were people who 
agreed that there was no link between abortion and breast cancer. Wow. And so people like Dr. Brin said, wait a minute, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, no, don't worry. You can ask questions from the floor. That'll be incorporated into the results. And, and then, of course, they get there. No questions from the floor. Wow. So you can write a minority report. Okay, so he tries to get a minority report together. And ultimately, he did write a minority report, but he was the only one who signed on to it. And he was trying to get his colleagues to join in with him because he had colleagues who he knew um, thought what he thought and believed what he believed. And for me, Lauren, this mm -hmm. was the most chilling moment in the video. And it comes in around minute 20, this discussion starts. If you want to start at the 20 minute mark. Um, he asked this woman, you know, would you, would you sign on with me? And she said, look, if I had known what this was going to be, I would never have agreed to even come. And I really can't sign off for minority report because these people sign off on my grants. Wow. And that was the end of it. And, and, you know, to me, there it is right there in 2003, 2002, whenever that process was going on, that the guy with the checkbook is deciding what scientific truth is. Wow. And I don't know what you think, but I think that that's not science anymore. If the guy with the checkbook is the guy who decides what's truth, you ain't doing science. Wow. Wow. Right. Right. You know, right uh, there. I want to talk about your book before we go, because, you know, I mean, we could talk about this more because, but I would encourage people to go to the website, the Ruth Institute website and watch the video with Dr. Brin, because I, that really is a fascinating thing. How do I, they go ruthinstitute.org? What is it? What's the website? Yes. Ruthinstitute.org. And I think we have it right on the homepage carousel and stuff like that. The things that will take you to everything related to this issue of these videos yeah. and the cancellation and you know all of that kind of stuff so you should be able to get to it pretty fast um and if not look look for the ruth institute rumble page and you'll be able to find it there as well so okay anyway yes but, let, but let's but, talk about the, the, the book state. the book the sexual state for i mean it, the, the title is the sexual state um how elite ideologies are destroying lives and why the church was right all along mouthful there but but it basically tells the whole story here why do you call it the sexual state first of all well uh First of all, I have to say, when I wrote this book in 2018, I had never heard the term deep state. Okay, just for mm -hmm. the record, I had never okay. heard that term deep state. Um, but the reason I called it the sexual state, it, it has kind of two meanings, because you can think of the sexual state as being you're in a state of sex. Or, right, 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 right. Like right. That, you know, that's sort of, uh, that was sort of the subliminal um, uh, meaning of it. But, but the serious meaning of it, the, the deepest meaning of it is that the sexual revolution is propped up by the state. It is a creation of the state. It is not an organic cultural development. It's presented, really? it's presented to us as if that's the case, right? But the case that I make throughout the book is that the things that we now think of as part of the sexual state or, or, or the sexual revolution, most of them are completely irrational, which means if you propose them and live by them, they would fall apart. Right. So mm -hmm. if you're going to keep it going, you got to prop it up and you prop it up with law and propaganda and force. OK. And so that's the burden of the book is to go through case by case the ways in which things were initiated by the state and the ways in which they're propped up by the combination of legal rules and uh, and mass media. Right. Um, 
and mm -hmm, what I sometimes mm -hmm. call the managerial class of the people who have an interest in the sexual state and the, and the sexual revolution in some way, um, that, that that group of people is keeping this thing cooking in a way that would not be possible if you were just, you know, kind of putting it out there, letting people have their choices, do whatever they want. People would reject a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, and I, and I think when you start thinking about it like that, now you look around and you go, Oh yeah, no, but there's really no popular clamor for boys to go into girls' bathrooms or play on girls' sports teams. That's not ordinary people coming forward and saying, gee, there's a problem here. Let's let the boys play sports with the girls. You know, it's all coming from the top down, right? That one is really obvious now. Wow. You gave a lot of examples in the first the first chapter, and I'm, I have not read the whole thing, but I am going to be reading it. Um, the first <laughs> chapter is, you know, full disclosure here, but the first chapter really gives some examples. It's, it talks about the misery of modern life. Now, anybody living today, you know, would glam onto that. Yeah. Why am I so miserable? Why is this happening today? Um, no one also relates it back to their sexual life, right? That's right. the That's the insidious thing about it is that um, we take as truth that, you know, men and women can have the same sexual desires, right. but men and women have the same sexual needs. Uh, we take as truth. Now, if you take that as truth, that's a problem right there. You know, it's like, you know, you don't, you have a choice of what to believe, but you don't have a choice of the consequences of those beliefs. That's a Ravi Zacharias kind right, of statement. Right, and right. it's like, that's so very true. Now you take something that's truth that is goes against the laws of nature right that becomes an issue that becomes a problem and that becomes really the foundation between the, the misery of modern life That's um right. what are some of the, the the biggest examples that you think that people would really want to kind of understand this whole concept of this misery that's happening because of this sexual evolution well well I'm going to choose this one because you and I are both professional women, okay, that one of the big co costs of the sexual revolution has been for women to say, well, I'm supposed to be equal to the guys at all times. I'm supposed to um, get my education right after, right after high school, go through college, right after college, go for graduate school, uh, then and only then uh, settle down and get married and try to have kids. Um, and in the meantime, I can, I can have as much sex as I want so that I'm not lonely and stuff. Um, and, and it'll be okay if I contracept it, you know, um, and then you get to be 35, you finally, in my case, you know, I finally got tenure at a major university. Okay, now I'm ready to start a family. Well, then what do you have? You have infertility, you have mm -hmm. impaired fertility. And by the time you figure out that, wait a minute, this wasn't so important to me as I thought it was going to, wait, wait, this is much bigger than I expected when I made all these decisions at the age of 22, you know, um, right. it, by then it's too late to do anything about it. It's literally too late to do anything about it. And, and so there are a lot of women in that situation, right? And I, I mean, I even had a young friend who told me that um, when she took a graduate level class in, in fertility, as it turned out, in demography, right? Um, the, the demography professor told all the girls, because the whole class was women, or <laughs> yes. women's yes. higher education, women dominate almost every field of higher education now. Yeah. I hope we all know that, right? Um, the professor told them, well, you know, uh, uh, yes, I struggle with infertility, and and when you when you all get your PhDs, you'll have infertility issues too. And mm. It was like, boom, you know, like right there, like whoa, you, you know, <laughs> this is the price you pay. This is the that's the price you pay for your career development. Okay, and so that that has a lot of profound consequences that I that I don't want to go into, but it's just a fact that the way that our society is now structured 
delayed childbearing is the price of entry for professions, right? And there are all kinds of consequences to that fact. So, so that's one whole set of things. Another whole set of things would have to do with divorce mm -hmm. um, and people feeling like, you know, I'm unhappy, uh, we have problems, but, you know, I, I'm feeling my bliss, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the marriage. There are a lot of people, if they had known how hard that was going to be, they would not have done it, right? But by the time you do all of that, you, know, you really can't walk it back. Uh, a, a lot of the decisions that people make. And, well, and, one, of the things, one of the things, one of the things you talk about in the book that I thought was very interesting is the effect of the divorce on the child. Oh. And we don't talk about oh. that very much because people believe the children are going to be okay. Oh. And then you give an example of, you know, a child is just acting out left and right and the parents are, well, you'll get over it. It's yeah. like, they never get over it. Right. That's very, that's so true. You know, and we have the evidence we now have plenty of evidence that, that that's the case, that the kids don't get over it. But the, the mantra, kids are resilient, the kids will be fine. You know, you adults, you are so fragile that if you don't follow your bliss, you're gonna die. But your child will be fine. If they're not fine, we take them, we put them on, we put them on a medication, we take them to therapy, right? If they're not fine. Um, but but no, seriously, the the consequences of divorce for children are staggering and very well documented, Lauren. Um, the, the the important researcher in this area was a woman named Judith Wallerstein, who was originally a proponent of no-fault divorce. She originally thought this is all going to work, and she's following families, and she literally followed people for 25 years. And by the time it was 10 years in, she saw that she was wrong, and she was singing a new tune. By the time she wrote that 25-year landmark study, you know, she was saying, you know, not only are the kids harmed, but the older they get, when they hit, when they pass through puberty and they're starting to form their own families, that's when all of the problems crescendo because they are, they have so many problems starting their own families, trusting people, choosing the right partner, having the stamina to go through a rough time in, in their own marriages, right? Because they, what they think is when you have a rough time, this must be the wrong person, you know? Um, all of these problems just cascade. They don't go away. And anyone who seriously studies this topic knows that that is true. And the yeah. fact that the fact that you don't know it or that, you know, the average viewer doesn't know it, that's terrible. That's just terrible. The other thing that I think kind of gets at the crux of what the sexual revolution really is, is basically taking sex and separating it from love separating yes. it from marriage and separating it from procreation. That's really what the sexual revolution did. That's and exactly that right. creates the problem. Now let's talk about just the separation from sex, from love, you know, the hookup culture, you know, yeah. I can have sex because it's just, it's just an appetite, you know, talk right. about the effects of that. You know, that's one of the first things that, that clued me in that something was really wrong. Cause I was a full participant in this stuff in my, you know, my teens and twenties, I did a lot of this stuff, but it never really, even while you're doing it, it's kind of empty, you know? Uh, and there are several books right now by young women that have come out lately where they're saying the same thing, you know, it's, but, but the problem is we have to rediscover it every generation because we've built our institutions around the idea that it's just an appetite. You mm -hmm. know, it's like going to a basketball game. You know, it's uh, like the preferences between Mexican or Chinese or something. You know, if you feel like having sex or you don't feel like having sex, it's just no big deal. Right. The fact is, the fact is that our bodies attach to each other during sex. 
we it, it, the, the sexual act has profound physical consequences as well as psychological and emotional and spiritual consequences. It's, it's a profound act actually. Um, and to presume that it's not is already a big assumption, right? It's already, a that's a major truth claim to say that sex is no big deal, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Right, and we're all just kind of coasting on that on that assumption and, and it's not true. And I, I think at the deepest level, um, Christianity and Judaism before it knows something that the modern world needs to discover. And that is Christians of all sorts, I think will agree with what I'm about to say. We believe that the human person is meant for love. God created us as an act of love on his part. And he wants us to love him in return. And he wants us to love one another in return. And the need for love is built into the body, right? And that the sexual drive is in part a desire to love and be loved, right? Um, and all of that's built into the body, and we're we're just we're playing around with it. We don't we don't understand what we're playing around with in the hookup culture. Would you have sex with somebody that you not in whole life oneness with through marriage? What does that do to you emotionally and psychologically? Um, you know, what does it do to you? Well, you know, I think it does different things for men and for women. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'll just speak about women briefly because one of the things that that we actually know scientifically is that women tend to attach to their sex partners we give off a hormone and i don't talk about it in this particular book i talk about it in earlier books of mine but um there's a hormone called oxytocin which is an attachment hormone it makes you makes you relax and commit and bond with whoever you're with well that hormone uh women have a lot more oxytocin generally than men do and we experience it when we're having sex, when we're giving birth, and when we're nursing. Okay, so mm. these are the big bonding activities that women do, right? And so, you know, when your baby is born, it doesn't matter what that baby looks like, you are attached to that baby, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? And, and, and when you're, um, and, and when you're having sex with somebody, your body is attaching to that person whether you married them or whether you picked them up at a bar, your body starts to attach to them. And this creates so many problems and complications for women as they get, they get connected to guys that are no good for them because they didn't think about whether they were going to be good for them. They were thinking about, oh, uh, I'm supposed, it, it, I feel it so it's okay, you know? Right. Um, and and they're, they're not tuned in to the, to the larger consequences of acting on that particular desire, that particular feeling. Does, does with that in mind, does a woman then basically, in order to kind of defend against whatever, does she have to, in her mind, separate love from sex? Like, you know, can she do that? And in, and if she has to do that, then what are the consequences of that in terming, terms of forming a long term relationship? You know, so, with, a, so, with, with finding the right person, finding the husband. I, I see. So, 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 what you're asking me, I just want to be clear what you're asking. So, so, if a woman is having sex with somebody she's not married to, um, and and she starts to feel this attachment, uh, what's what's going to happen? To her? How's she going to manage that? Is that, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, basically. Right. Right. Uh, well, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to navigate it. You know. Um, but 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 yeah, you have to then detach, right? And so now you're setting yourself up for in your mind. Uh, a lot of confusion about the meaning of the sexual act so that when you finally do get married yeah, and you want to give yourself wholeheartedly you're kind of you kind of don't know how to do it you know and and you kind of practice doing things that that don't work so 
Um, that one place that shows up, Lauren, um, there's plenty of data on this point that cohabiting prior to marriage does not improve your marriage. Mm. Okay. A lot of people think, oh, you take it for a test drive. You know, uh, that makes so much more sense to find out if you're really compatible, blah, 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 blah. Well, it turns out the data says that that doesn't help. Right. And I think the reason it doesn't help is that you're, you, you're, you're doing an act that is supposed to be a, a binding commitment at every level, namely the sexual act, which used to be called the marital act, right? We don't call it that anymore, but when people were calling it that, that meant something, right? Um, you're performing the sexual act, which is supposed to be a one flesh union that binds you. But at the same time, you've got one foot out the door. You're setting yourself up for a lot of confusion. And I, and I can testify to this. I lived with my husband before we got married. You know, we lived together before. And we had a lot of things we had to unlearn. Right. And it took a long time to unlearn some of the habits that we had had gotten into, you know, and mm -hmm. that's what the, I think that's what explains the data that we see. Wow. Um, I could talk to you forever, Ed, but I, oh, I think we're, we're kind of out of time. But Dr. Um, I'm going to talk to you, Dr. Ruth, actually. <laughs> no, not Dr. Ruth. <laughs> no, Dr. No, but Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris. I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And, and once again, where can people find more information about the Ruth Institute? Uh, what is the website? So you go to ruthinstitute.org, just go to ruthinstitute.org. That will lead you to our audio podcasts, our video podcasts, our Rumble channel and our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. We have a very active Facebook page as well. So you can find us in all of those places. And do please, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter because that is an email newsletter and they can't cancel that. Okay? So if you, get, if you get on the list, then, then you're good. Wonderful. I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This has been really, really fun. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. It's a great blessing to, to be with you today. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.